like when I was 16 years old, I was homeless. Um, I didn't have any friends. I was homeless. I was eating from food banks. Um, like I was a very different person back then. I was very, I was a lot more aggressive, and I did run into like things with the police. I was manipulative for different kind of reasons back then. I was violent. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I am your host, Todd Rennebaum. Hey, congratulations to Jared Benson. He is the winner of the $25 gift card from Co-op this week. Uh, listen to the full episode and you could win $50 this week with Co-op. And you can spend that gift card on fuel, groceries, hardware, agricultural products that you may need or may not need. Uh, so yeah, there's going to be a question at the end of the episode. You answer that question, send your answer to bunnyhugspodcast at gmail, and you will be entered to win. And by the way, what a wonderful episode it is this week. I'm speaking with two people, Jake and Emily. They are a couple. Jake suffers from antisocial personality disorder, and Emily is borderline personality disorder and OCD. And they have an Instagram account, and it's called Antisocial Theater. And they and they create uh, movies and videos and clips and stuff. And Jake writes them, and Emily directs and films them. But anyway, we'll we'll talk about that in the episode. Uh, next week, I'm speaking with Robert Crowsher, and he is a street counselor or a vigilante therapist, if you will, uh, and a social worker. So he he meets people where they are on the street, homeless, uh, quite often, uh, addicted, um, mental illness, whatever, and he provides therapy for them, which is amazing. Yeah, he he's a super super cool guy. It's just one of those people that you wish every city had about a thousand of or more. Uh, anyway, that's next week. And hey, if you could follow me on Instagram, Bunny Hugs Podcast. Uh, there's going to be contests on there as well to win uh, money from co-op, $25 to $50 gift cards. And there's all types of stuff. There's memes. There's stuff about uh, the podcast. I'm going to do a lot more posting of like surveys and questions and, and get people talking, get a little community going there. Uh, there's already about, uh, well, I don't know, 1,300 people or something like that following me there. So you can uh, join there and join in on the conversations and the memes and talk about the podcast, talk about the episodes you've listened to and stuff. And, uh, you know, so many people are considering the podcast a free mental health service because they are receiving a lot of free information, inspiration, and encouragement from the guests, which is amazing. It's critical to listen and encourage others to listen, to rate and review on Apple so that more folks can find the podcast and maybe hear something that they need to hear. Maybe, maybe something they didn't even realize they needed to hear. Uh, with mental health and addiction services lacking everywhere right now, uh, do someone a favor, do yourself a favor, start telling people about the podcast and, and make sure you listen. And for nothing else, to win money from co-op. So thank you everybody that have made comments and rated and reviewed and have been sharing. Keep it up. Uh, it's amazing of you. So thank you. And uh, one quick note about this episode. I am between computers right now and I'm trying to learn a whole other computer and um, it's been somewhat unsuccessful. So the audio is not as good as it normally is in the episode. It's still it's still good. I mean, you can still it's you know, it's fine. It's just not quite as good as it normally is. Uh, so I apologize for that. But I, di I did just receive a new computer, brand new, not just used, uh, so it's going to improve again. Without further ado, I give you Jake and Emily. And Jake, you're diagnosed with 
uh, ASPD. <laughs> I have to look. Yeah. <laughs> Antisocial personality disorder. And it's a very, uh, I, I don't know if it's controversial or just misunderstood or both. Yeah, I would say, um, I think it's um, probably, it's used a lot in TV and media and film to, um, 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 you know, um, to create the, the sort of, well, the, you know, quote unquote sociopath um, or psychopathic sort of um, protagonist or antagonist in films and movies and things like that. Um, and those sort of phrases are thrown around. Um, but then when you sit and talk about or when you see the public's reaction to the actual terms and what they actually mean in the public's eye, it's almost always negative. People talk about criminals, they'll often cite or they'll, they'll mention the, the most heinous criminals that like they'll talk about people like Dharma and Bundy and things like that. And like, there's no scope outside of those kind of people. Um, like that, that's just sort of the, the, the general public's view of ASPD. Um, and that's the only, that's the sole reason why this project started was to destigmatize that particular line of thinking you know um it does exist don't get me wrong um i'm i'm always the person on on social media to to say that aspd does carry darkness there is a violent tendencies there is criminality um you know that's kind of the, the diagnostic criteria but that does not mean inherently you're going to be a criminal who goes out and impulsively beats people up i just want you know that has to be stated and that has to be made abundantly clear um yeah i if i'm I understand this correctly it's like narcissism where it's like there's like 12 criteria but you only need to have like seven of them so um the other five you don't have could be these really uh, you know um dark kind of symptoms yeah in the sense of like well obviously funnily you mentioned that narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder is, is actually part of the same cluster of personality disorders uh the cluster b personality disorders so there is some overlap um, in symptoms, actually, uh, but you're, you're you're absolutely right. Um, um, there is it's sort of like a, it, you know, it is more of like a tick box exercise when it comes to the, when you read when you're reading a criteria. It's easy just to look at those things and say, you tick this box, you tick this box, you know. Um, but it it has to be sort of um, in context, uh, and it has to be like a pervasive pattern of these kind of traits for you to qualify. So I see a lot of people on the internet say. Um, oh, I'm a bit like that. You know, I can be a bit manipulative or oh, I'm a bit aggressive. And it's like, no, it's not a part. It, that's an aspect of your personality that sometimes arises with people like us. It's a, a central part of the way we think, the way we view the world. Um, and often, you know, it can manifest physically uh, or violently in that, you know, because of that. So, yeah. So what is it? Psychopathy or uh, a psych psychopath? Like that's a whole other thing, right? Like that's not even a personality disorder. That's more of a personality traits. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So like um, the way I sort of try and explain it um, is psychopathy is like sort of a multifaceted um, personality traits. Like it's, um, it's a set of personality traits that um, it does have overlap with um, antisocial personality disorder. So it's generally accepted that... Um, psychopaths anyone who qualifies for psychopathy um on the the, the checklist and um, the pclr which is the psychopathy checklist revised um anyone who um, qualifies as a psychopath on that list um will almost always qualify um with antisocial personality disorder however not everybody 
who qualifies for ASPD would then qualify to be a psychopath. So it is a slightly different thing. As you say, ASPD is actually a diagnostic criteria that can be diagnosed as part of the DSM, whereas uh, psychopathy um, is more, yeah, more like a per- set of personality traits that often does overlap with ASPD. So I do I do get it when people talk about them together, um, but I don't, you know, it, it, it's not, they're often used synonymously with each other, and that's not correct, so. Well, I appreciate you uh, speaking out about this stuff. I, I think it's really incredible that social media has made this platform so that people can educate other people and be like, no, 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 this is what it is. And because I, I mean, like even five years ago, you, you wouldn't go on Instagram and type in uh, antisocial personality disorder and have people that were openly talking about their diagnosis. And it's more and more common, same with borderline, same with narciss- narcissistic personality disorder and uh, even histrionic. So. I, I think it's I think it's pretty incredible that uh, people are feeling uh, comfortable enough in their diagnosis to actually come out and talk about it and and that. So uh, good on you. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to add as well. I think it's um, I think it's more um, like ag- anger as well. Like for me, it, that's how it started. It's like um, like I I come from an acting background, so I'm an actor. That's what I studied at um. At, uh, Bachelor of Honours. I got a Bachelor of Honours degree in acting. That's sort of where I come from, um, and this is where antisocial theatre started. Um, and when people were writing, like theatre is pretty dark in nature, like straight acting, um, and people use those terms. Like I was noticing, like the the tutors or the teachers were using those terms, like you know, this character is is a sociopath, this character is a psychopath. And I was like, well, which one? Which one are you talking about? And do you know the differences between the two? And you know, and I would often get into arguments with with the tutors, and it's like you know you're using these terms interchangeably, and it's a good job that I'm not actually offended by this because some people with a diagnosis probably would be pretty offended by the you using those terms to describe inherently violent and sadistic characters just because they're violent and sadistic. So um, I think it also comes from a place of like I have to say something. You know what I mean, like. If I like TikTok, for example, if I scroll on TikTok and there's somebody like talking about a ASPD, uh, um, and by the way, we don't really use the term sociopath. Some people do, but it's usually used, as I've just said, as like a derogatory term for people with ASPD um, or informally. And so I don't. So when people start using that term instead of ASPD, I just know for a fact that what I'm about to hear is probably a load of rubbish. So I think it comes from just being tired of hearing the rubbish as well. So, right. And, <laughs> uh, and Emily, what's, what's your diagnosis? So I have OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Ah. Um, that's someone with it since I was 14. Would, is there any, no, I guess maybe probably not. There's no crossover with any um, cluster Bs with OCD or can, can they get you a little confused? We've had a little bit of a look into this. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think they can. I was in therapy, uh, well, last year for um, borderline personality disorder as well. So that's something that I have also, which I don't really talk about. Um, but I was in therapy for that. And there's obviously that crossover there. Um, but yeah, I think there's a few others. I was having a look and I think there are a few crossovers. Um, we wanted to do a post about that actually at some point, just the crossovers between the disorders that we both have mm. and any others in there as well. Yeah. So so you have been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder? Been in therapy for that as well. Ah, interesting. Did they ever clash? 
think they, they do clash quite a lot. Because I have OCD, each OCD theme comes in differently. Um, a big theme that I struggle with is relationship OCD. Um, and one of those issues within OCD is worrying like that your partner will leave you or that you're going to have that fear of abandonment. And obviously that's a big thing for me with the BPD as well. So they do cross over quite a lot. Um, it's something that I discovered when I was in therapy for OCD, actually. So I think it's hard sometimes to understand which part of me I'm having at that minute, if that makes sense. Like which which disorder is this bit coming from? Yeah, yeah, I fully understand. Even just with having uh, uh, ADHD, it's like, is this my ADHD brain or is this my anxiety spiraling yeah. thoughts or are they kind of one and the same? And does Does your personality disorder ever clash with Jake's personality disorder? I think it definitely did when we first started seeing each other. I think that was probably um, the biggest time it would clash. But since we've lived together and we sort of know what each other's personalities are like, it becomes easier um, just to understand, I think. Because I'm a very emotional person, which is something that I suffer with with the BPD side of me. Um, and my emotions, I tend to bring them in inward rather than outward, which is another thing that I think a lot of the time when you see BPD, you would think about um, maybe people lashing out and having outbursts of um, these emotions. But for me, it's something that's very inward. So when I have these phases, is what I usually call them, or the rough patches that I'm going through, I turn very inward. So it's a lot of the time it's being harmful towards myself rather than other people. Um, so I think sometimes it's a little bit difficult for you to maybe understand why I'm being quiet one day. And yeah. I think that's when it used to clash a lot because obviously I struggle with talking about my emotions. I think that's a big thing for me. And yeah. because you... Yeah, like at the, like, st like at the start of the relationship, um, we... Obviously, because uh, me and Emily met at uh, university when we were doing, when we started antisocial theatre, um, and she came to film um, or assist on the filming of one of the projects that we were doing for antisocial theatre. Um, and it was, um, so that's obviously where she got to hear about ASPD and things like that. Um, but for a lot of people, understandably, it's a subject that not isn't it isn't covered enough in depth. Like yeah. it's one of those things you may have heard of in you know in passing or something, but it isn't isn't something that people really fully understand at the moment. Um, or did that's the I thing don't for think you? Have even heard of it exactly like, um, at all? So when we basically when we got together, um, Emily was somebody who, as she said, was very over emotional um, in that sense, and and wanted a lot of reassurance with things. Um, Whereas I'm somebody who is, I'm very shallow emotioned. Um, so I don't, I do feel emotion just to, just to make that clear to the listeners as well. Like I do feel emotion. It's just dull. It's like nulled. Like um, it only goes so far. I think of it as like a capped thing. Like it only goes so far before it hits the cap and then it'll just sort of drop. And that, that's the same thing with romance as well. But um, but we, we've sort of like come to a, a, a mutual understanding agreement and, and, that that works it actually yeah, it actually it works really works well. believe it or not because as you were just talking about um bpd there is actually something that you may be i'm sure you're aware of um is quiet bpd um which a lot oh. of people do oh maybe okay so i do uh, there is some people talking about it on social media not quite as as frequent as as we probably should do a post on that yeah. too um but quiet P bpd it's the same thing but it's very internalized um as you was just saying and it's very internalized um but and but so because when so for example if emily gets very upset and over it you know maybe as 
irrational. We could use the term irrational. Um, I sort of uh, counteract that because I'm not over emotional. So I'm, I'm, it's sort of level headed thinking from me that that sort of soothes it down. So it actually surprisingly really works. Like, yeah. like balance, like yin and yang. Yeah. Ah. And the sex is great. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, I suppose being both kind of diagnosed on the uh, cluster B. I use the word spectrum. Spectrum, sure. Yeah. I, I guess the more you understand yourself, then the more empathy you have for the other person because you kind of then understand them a little better because th- th- there's kind of a similar thing. Um, so, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to empathy and love, having ASPD, like a lot of people think, you don't have empathy. You don't. It's hard. You know, it's it's always to benefit you. Uh, it's not really empathy. Yeah. I mean, I, I was sort of discussing this before the podcast started with Emily. Is um like obviously with ASPD, it I see it is a spectrum. So everyone's experience with the disorder is going to be different. Um, obviously, there's going to be some sort of similar threads that go through. Um, and empathy, I assume, would be one of them. Um, but then again, it's just so vast. Like so, for example, the way I like to explain it is, I have high cognitive empathy so i can understand why someone would feel a certain way you know i'm very informed that way um but the effective empathy or the emotional empathy just doesn't really register um but um i i am capable of having strong connections but it just takes an insane amount of time for it to develop because i'm so i don't trust people um and i don't like a lot of people to be quite frank um so you know i often talk about on social media being able to count my true connections on one hand um so i feel like because i have so little connection with people or i struggle so much to 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 get other people and to mix with other people the connections that i do have are really strong um and i do i do eventually develop that really strong connection so i do experience love i do experience um cognitive empathy um and you know i i assume i mean so far it's worked that's enough you know i mean that is enough for us like um, there's certain things that just don't register in my mind, and I think Emily has come to terms with that more over the years. That I just don't, I just don't feel certain things, and, and that's just how it is. Um, mm. But it doesn't matter. Even if I don't feel what she's feeling, that doesn't mean I don't care to the point where I won't make myself sit down and talk to her and think about it. Because just because, just because, like we always talk about this as well, like diminished or, or no empathy, it doesn't equate to monstrous behaviour. Um, or even aggressive behavior, like I can choose to be compassionate, even though I don't feel empathy. And and that's the case with meeting new people as well. When I meet people, um, people might think, oh, he's just doing something because it it, it will, you know, it, he'll be able to manipulate someone to get some sort of gain from something, which might be true, but so does everybody else. We all do things for gain. Um, and whether that gain just be to have a friend is, you know, is, is the, you know it, again it, it depends on which person with ASPD you're speaking to but for me um I don't like I, I have a history with violence and being in trouble with the police I just, I ain't got time for that shit anymore like you know the stuff I want to do with my life so I'm, I'm I'm more interested in making real connections and that's why I have so little friends in real life um and I think Emily's one of those people where I've I've really taken the time purposefully to create that connection um so i do think i you know it does work and it isn't manip- it isn't strictly i don't i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's manipulative in any way 
No, not at all. You know what I mean? I don't like, think that. yeah, I'm more manipulative with other people. I, I can I can admit that. Like, I'm more manipulative in out in the outside world, um, but not for harsh ones. I'm not like nasty to people or aggressive, but it's more like. I manipulate. I, I more manipulate my image, the way I look, or masking, as I'm sure you're familiar with that term. Um, so it's like manipulating my perception of, of, you know, my public perception, rather than manipulating people to steal money from them or anything. You know, that Machiavelli sort of crap that people try and hoist upon us. Um, it's a little bit more boring and simplistic than people think. ASPD, in some respects. So, you know, yeah. Ah, no, that's good. That's that's. So it's not even a lack of empathy it's more like a lack of connection and then once you do make these connections you're just very 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 picky about who you make connections with once you do make these connections then you do kind of feel the empathy and the love and the actual emotions and um compassion and stuff yeah um that's fair to say that that's how it is more nowadays but like Ah. this another thing that i try and talk about on the page as well is like in order to qualify for aspd Things like irritability, violence, aggression, manipulative things like those are traits that are inherent to pretty much cluster B disorders, but also ASPD. So I do have a history. I was, I used to be violent, you know, like when I was 16 years old, I was homeless. Um, I didn't have any friends. I was homeless. I was eating from food banks. Um, like I was a very different person back then. I was very, I was a lot more aggressive and I did run into like things with the police. I was manipulative for different kind of reasons back then. I was violent. Um, so, but I think for me, being involved with the police and getting in trouble is what actually snapped me in a different way of thinking. Like, you know, ASPD, is, it cannot be cured, but there is certain disorder. There is certain, like when, when you look into research, there is certain traits that can and, in, and do in some people sort of diminish as you get older or become lesser. And I think as I've gotten older and my priorities have changed, um you know i certain things like um impulsivity and aggression has dwindled um or or manifests in a different way if that makes sense yeah yeah so it's almost like being treated and untreated um is so when you when you were having trouble with the bobbies was (laughs) or the mounties if you're from canada um (laughs) Was that were you were you diagnosed then, or just not? Were you, or were you diagnosed and just untreated? So by that point, um, yeah, by between the ages of like sixteen to eighteen, maybe nineteen is where my ASPD was worst in terms of things I'd done or things I was doing. Um, but by this point, I'd been in therapy or in and out of therapy since I was probably around thirteen, fourteen. Like I'd been to multiple different therapists I'd, I'd, by that point i'd probably sp- spoken to psychologists psychiatrists like i'd spoken to a lot of people um but i didn't receive a formal diagnosis at that point because i was in and out like um anyone who's listening to this or even yourself who's been into therapy um when you get a bad therapist you get a bad therapist like it's just crap like i remember the third probably like the third or fourth conversation I had when I was talking to a therapist about some really like on my page, this is open knowledge. Like one thing I struggled with and still do to this day is like homicidal ideation. So a really aggressive and and sort of a way that my mind tries to gain control when it feels like it's losing control or feels humiliated as it manifests usually homicidal thoughts to make me feel in control. Um, 
yeah so that's i was talking to that about with my therapist at the time because i was 13 i didn't really know what that was sort of meaning i didn't sort of know what that meant um and by the second or third session i was sat in front of a forensic psychiatrist um and i quote i am here to deem your threat level to the public that was what they said to me and i was like 13 years old and i was like right okay i can't say these things anymore so then things became more internal um and then obviously in 2020 um that's when i actually received my formal diagnosis from a clinical psychiatrist so it took me that long to sit in front of somebody who isn't telling me um, you're going to kill somebody or you're going to do this so we can't really talk to you in this capacity um, or we can't help you, we're just going to deem whether you're going to do something. Um, it was kind of nice to, to speak to somebody in that capacity. So, yeah, it took mm. that long. <laughs> huh. So that, in a way, that perpetuates it. It's like, you're a bad person, we just want to know how bad you are so then you think, like, holy shit, this is... I obviously can't talk about this out loud because people freak the fuck out and I'm a bad person. So I'm just going to internalize it and never talk about it. That's bananas. Yeah. The, st the stigma extends to uh, the professional world as well, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up homicidal thoughts. That's something, uh, that's something I didn't think I'd ever say actually, but um, <laughs> um, that's something I've wanted to talk about before on the podcast. And it's like, cause I've kind of, hinted it with other people and they're like oh no no it's always it's only been like self-harm thoughts and stuff because shit man when i was like nine years old i remember fantasizing at night going to sleep all warm and cuddly thinking about murdering my school teacher that i fucking hated it was like no one else does this like, what the fuck? like it, it is it's like and it's not like i was ever scared that i was ever gonna do it i was i'm, a, I'm was never a violent person but it's uh you know to me it's almost it it's a partner to suicidal thoughts sometimes it's like um absolutely. yeah it's like it's a control thing like you said it's like uh it's just a fantasy you're absolutely correct but i think it, it's the lesser known or lesser spoken about um thing when, when it comes to aspd um like and that's what i mean it does exist those thoughts do exist and you know once upon a time probably when i was 18 um because i suffered a lot at the time with drinking a lot as well uh, i was drinking a lot back then um and I 100% would, would have done something like I would have, I used to sit and plot these things and think about how I was going to get revenge on this person and that person, mostly my father, because he was a probably the catalyst to all this because he was abusive and blah, 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 you know, and he turned out, he turned out to be much worse later on down the line. We found out some of the things that he did. So, you know, warranted that this person should be abused, like abused back. And that was my my mentality. Like I was going to get this person back. I was plotting all these things. So I definitely would have done it back then, you know, um, hmm. but my mind, you know, and that's another reason I like, I I, I love antisocial therapy is because it gives me a way of putting these thoughts and feelings into an educational format, but also like a cathartic and artistic format as well, because the homicidal thoughts, um, are now turned into writings, poems, monologues, and then short films by Emily. So it's, you know, it's like um, sort of, I can't remember that film. I think it's Friday the 13th where the actor, I think his name was Kane Hodder or something, in an, in an interview said, um, killing people on screen has now stopped me from doing it in real life. And it always just made me relate to that. <laughs> but yeah. It's also a judgment-free place, which is comforting, right? Because you can say whatever and not, have someone come in and analyze you and you know like worry about the 
safety of the public. <laughs> it's just like these are my thoughts, and I'm going to create some art based on based on it. And uh, uh, you know, it's nice to not be judged or have people freak out. Yeah, and like just touching on something you said a minute ago, like a bit about homicidal thoughts being paired with suicidal thoughts, like. There's a big thing in, in like the mental health community now. Like, don't get me wrong, I love the fact that more people are talking about mental health, especially men's mental health, like suicide and things like that. I, I love that people are talking about that and it's great and it needs to keep going that conversation. Um, but I feel like people like us fall to the wayside a bit because of that. So like if you mention suicide um in the context of like depression, anxiety, that kind of thing, um, people are really receptive to that now more than they were, which is great. But if you mention homicidal thoughts, oh boy, like it's a different kettle of fish. And this, that stick that needs to go, that needs to be stopped. And it's like, I would rather listen to somebody, you know, like if I was a parent, for example, I'd rather listen to somebody say they feel this way and then them talk through it and work through these aggressive feelings, maybe through like, for me, I worked through it through martial arts, through writing through that, that kind of stuff um and that could stop somebody from doing it do you know what i mean but if the, the sooner you vilify it and, and t- like force people to internalize it like i did things could go a very different way and things could have gone a very different way for me so i think that needs to be addressed as well yeah 100 percent um and and you touched on this earlier too both aspd and bb bp i have a hard time with that borderline personality disorder uh are generally trauma-based right am, am i wrong is like so it's like yeah. that's another reason to make it judgment free it's like you uh, it's not like you like being this way right you you gone through hell and for whatever reason your brain went this way and other people's go that way uh so i mean you, you have suffered just as much as anyone else and it's trauma-based and you need just as much empathy and uh therapy and medication and you, you need to be taken care of too and Sure, you may have done some shitty things in the past, but you, you took responsibility and you're trying to get treated. You're trying to make yourself better. So instead of judging you, just give you the services and the and the support you need. Today's episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health is brought to you by Co-op. I've been a member of my local co-op, Sherwood Co-op, for, oh, about 25 years, I think. My co-op is one of more than 150 local independent cooperative associations in more than 600 communities across Western Canada. Co-op is a different kind of business. It's not just a gas bar or a grocery store, although co-op is those things too. At its core, co-op is a group of people working together to help their neighbors and build their community. Co-op members are owners and success is shared with everyone. Your co-op doesn't benefit one person or one corporation. Your co-op was built for everyone. Your co-op was built for your community. Learn more about co-op and find a location near you at co-op.crs. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And it's like people almost take on the personality these days, though, um, of enjoying mental health disorders, like TikTok on the rise. And I did a post about this, and it's probably our most liked post, actually. It's pinned at the top of our page. And it's not cool to have a personality disorder. Like, you know, I didn't choose to wake up one day and think, oh, I'm going to be somebody who can't function in the normal world without thinking aggressive thoughts or, you know, I can't hold down a job properly. You know, I can't, I've I've got no friends, blah, blah, blah. And a host of other things, you know, that I can't really mention, but do you understand that? I don't choose to be like that. 
Emily didn't choose to be the way she is, I'm sure. Like, obsessive compulsive disorder is such a stigmatized subject as well as ASPD. Like, but it, you know, it even turns into like a business proposition. Like, I remember we were scrolling through Instagram and an an ad came up and for like a cup business um, or a mug business. And and it was like um, obsessive compulsive, what was it? Obsessive cup disorder. Obsessive cup disorder. It's like people are trying to capitalize on being mentally ill. And that disgusts me. Like, I think there's there's more need for this conversation now than there ever has been. I think. Like, yeah. I think it's disgusting to be honest. Uh, Emily, do you think you you don't talk as much about the BPD because of the stigma? I think that is a big thing. Yeah. Um, OCD has been something I, I mentioned I've suffered with since I was fourteen, but BPD never really crossed my mind until I started therapy and started receiving help for it. And I think I don't really talk about it because I think the way that I see my BPD is different to the way that it would be portrayed in like the media and films. I mentioned it being very internalised and I think that's one of the reasons why I don't discuss it more. It's almost like you kind of feel like you don't earn that label if you don't have it in that specific way that it's shown in in the media and stuff. So it's I'm naturally a quiet person anyway. I don't really like to talk about my feelings too much, but this is a part of me that's really vulnerable, I think, and it still is because it's quite, I mean, it's quite new to me. It was last year or the year before that I started therapy for it. Um, and it's something that affects me every day, but I just don't really talk about it too much because I feel like I'm still trying to understand that part of me as well um, and get past that stigma myself. Because when I first heard that, like, borderline personality disorder, you automatically think something else. So, so a lot of people, like once they get diagnosed, it's almost like a relief. It's like, ah, that's what it is. But you, you're not quite feeling that with, with the BPD diagnosis. It's nice to know why I feel the way I feel. And it's nice to know why my emotions maybe don't align up with everyone else's emotions and why if like something happens to me, there's a reason why my brain goes a different way. And maybe I overreact. Some people might say it's it's like and why my brain goes there it's nice to know that but I think it's just something that I don't really talk about still because I'm still learning about it myself um and just trying to accept it but it was the same with OCD when I first like developed that and realized that that's what I was suffering with because there was a lot of dark thoughts involved with my OCD as well I almost didn't want to talk about that either and didn't want to go into that I think it's just trying to accept those parts of yourself very very vulnerable vulnerable thing and a vulnerable state to be in i think so it is it's is quite difficult for me to talk about well I, i'm gonna push your vulnerability here a little what, what what are some of the what are some of the dark thoughts with you've had with the ocd okay um ocd for me developed as having th- thoughts about harming people so it was intrusive thoughts specifically family members um like it it was that sort of thing when it first started and I was really confused as to why I was getting these thoughts in my head I think I was sat at a family party once and it just something clicked in my head and I had this awful thought um and from that point onwards I don't think I've ever my brain's ever been the same it's almost like something switched inside of me and that's I just got started getting these dark thoughts so it's intrusive thoughts about harming people that you love in very violent ways um not, and not then, as revenge, but as just random thoughts. Yeah, it's random. And then believing that you are this way. So for me, it was always worried that I was going to harm people. Maybe if I was sleeping, I was going to sleepwalk for some reason and harm my family. Um, 
and then it's getting that anxiety about that thought and then you develop things like compulsions to stop these thoughts so for me because I used to have thoughts that I was going to harm people whilst I was asleep or in my sleep um, I'd get compulsions at night time so it'd be really weird bizarre things like shaking a dream catcher five times cleaning behind my nails five times and um, that's how it started so that's very typical OCD um, and then that developed into other things other compulsions such as reassurance seeking confession that's a big one for me having to confess my thoughts to everyone I think I have to confess every single thought I have to use sometimes and it gets really draining for me and um, that they're the dark thoughts that I that I had at that point um, there's also something I don't know I think it's just it's just the intrusive thoughts it's it's, I don't want to have them, but they just pop it up into my head. And sometimes they're really violent and it's hard for me to deal with. You know what? I think I can relate. As a kid, I remember having kind of similar thoughts, but I remember just kind of, I, I kind of grew out of it. But yeah. I think that's maybe set the stage for some other issues that I, I deal with. But um, uh, I still didn't have healthy thoughts. They just went a different way. But uh, I, I remember like, I was diagnosed with a stomach ulcer because I had such bad um, anxiety when I was like grade five. And some of the stuff I'd worry about is like, if I didn't, I, I didn't even grow up religious at all, but it's like, if I didn't pray to God before I went to sleep, like, please don't let my house start on fire. Please don't let mommy and daddy die. Like if I didn't do that, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, like freak out and like, I'd have to do it. Or if I didn't do like, you know, you talk about the, the kind of more physical rituals, shaking the dream catcher and stuff. <laughs> I would have the same thing, but it was all internal too. Is like, I have to repeat this thing 10 times or whatever. And uh, I still lift my feet over train tracks when I drive over them. Cause I was told that was good luck, you know, uh, shit like that. So I, I think I, I think I can somewhat relate, but, um, yeah. and, and it is weird. It's like the more you don't want those thoughts, it's like the more you think about it. Yeah. And when I was a kid, I remember at one, it was at like one point when I was like 16, 17, I was like, fucking knock it off. You dumb shit. <laughs> I was able to kind of knock it off, but um, I obsessed about different stuff instead. And so, yeah, so that's interesting. Um, yeah. And it is, it's, it's like any other diagnosis. It, it can be crippling. Yeah, definitely. It's something that affects me. It started to affect me a lot more this year because I've gone through quite a bit of grief and that is a big thing, which brings up these emotions back for me. Um, so when I started going through this really rough patch with losing a few family members, and one of my family members becoming really ill, instead of focusing on that that was happening, my mind would switch to the OCD. So OCD is very control-based. So I think when I am feeling quite stressed, I will go and switch back to the OCD because in some way I feel like I can control that side of me. Even though when I'm having these thoughts, I feel uncontrollable. Um, so that I think that's what I'm, I'm dealing with at the minute. Um, and I'm also like, yeah, it's just that sort of thing which I'm dealing with at the moment. So I'm having another flare up and it's just trying to get back into that. Understanding why you're feeling this way, understanding what intrusive thoughts are again, because I think I went through a stage where I was okay with my OCD for quite a while. An intrusive thought would pop up, but because I'd been to therapy, I knew the ways to deal with it. But since all of this started happening, it's almost forgot kind of what OCD was like and it's come back quite bad. So yeah, I'm getting used to it again. Well, be gentle with yourself. None of us are perfect. Right after this, I'm seeing a counselor again. It's been a couple of years and same thing. I mean, I mean, just because you're diagnosed and you've been treated and stuff, it doesn't mean that things get, you can't have flare ups. You, you know, you can't, you can't be perfect from 
from the time your diagnosis started treatment till the time you're you're dead. So there, yeah, just be just be gentle with yourself and you know just reaccept it. It's like okay, well, you know, I'm I'm taking responsibility again, which is awesome. Uh, like you said, you 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 have enough tools to even be self aware that oh shit, this is happening again. So then you took responsibility, and that's that's huge right there. So so good on you for that. And you know maybe this time next year it'll be. You'll be where you were before and because you took responsibility and you're seeing a therapist about it and stuff. And and yeah, stress is a huge trigger for, for pretty much any diagnosis. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming stress is a huge trigger for ASPD as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. My, I think my stress is uh, a slightly different. Um, like um, I, haven't, I haven't really got anyone close to me. Um, so there's probably there's probably a few people that I've lost that I just didn't know about because I don't really speak. I only I probably only speak to a couple of family members. Um, but yeah, so I think for me, like sh- my stress is very, I've noticed um, uh, is, it's triggered a lot by social events. So I have a real big problem, as I've said, with connecting with other people. So like, for example, if I go out, um, bearing in mind just for just, just to build a picture, I live, I work from home. I live and work from home in a city um that i've only lived in for so long so i I actually don't really know anyone here either um so my only chance to meet new people um is like when i go out to an event like if i go out to the clubs or to the bars um um and there's if if it doesn't go a certain way it, it, it like fucks with my head and makes me really aggressive like so uh, and and so I said this to Emily. You'll know when something's been triggered because I'll write a new story, and a new story will appear on my writing page, <laughs> and you can sort of decipher what's happened if you read between the lines in those stories. Uh, but basically, uh, if I go out um, and I'm trying to p- portray myself as the, in, in the best way possible, like I'm I'm happy go lucky, you know, I'm interesting, um, which is, it, it it works sometimes, but sometimes. It just it doesn't get the reception that I would like. I don't feel like I'm being, uh, what's the word? Like, I don't feel like I'm being appreciated or or noticed enough. Um, so then I'll go into this really insecure bubble and and then obviously, which is enhanced by drinking anyway. Um, and it'll just make me feel so low. And so like those thoughts that I had control of, because the homicidal thoughts, I have a lot of control of these days, but it just, it's like opening the, like that scene in The Shining when the, the lift opens and the blood comes running out. That's how it is. It just floods back in and like, like boom, like comes in and it just makes me feel overwhelmed. And like, I feel transported to like, like when I was, when I was a kid again and I felt helpless and all these triggers and it happened so quickly. Um, as you said, it's trauma based. Um, but I just wanted to say as well, like, I think what we're doing now, like us three and in general, people like us, all of us for the mental health community is a lot of people don't realize we're very self-aware of these things. We are very self-aware. And I think because of that, it's I feel like, yes, it's great that we have a grasp and we sort of know what's going on. But I sometimes feel think that makes it worse. And um, it's because like you can see something. It's like having an illness. You know, it's there, but you can't stop it or you can't slow it down. Um, you can manage it. But eventually, I feel like it's you feel like it's going to consume you eventually one day. And like that's another myth as well. Um, just to touch upon it is that people who suffer with ASPD um, or psychopathy, they don't know that they have it. And it's like, well, we've been different since we were younger. We've seen how other people act. We know what it is to be average, you know, or quote unquote normal or average. And we know that we are not that. 
So that's another thing just wanted to slip in there is we're very self-aware. And I think that's the issue is that we're very self-aware of something we feel we can't change. I don't know how you feel about that, Todd. But. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember like again in high school and like being so self-aware, it, it, it almost became a compulsion. And it was like, why am I different? Why, why are these guys saying this thing? And like, and I, why can't I relate to what the fuck they're talking about? And for me, yeah. I, 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 I'm from a small town in the prairies of Canada. So, um, drinking is very popular in high school. So I kind of went the drinking route, which I still, I I've said this many times on the podcast, but I feel is almost a cluster B, um, spectrum thing is, is addiction because quite often is trauma based and, you know, there, there's a lot of negativity wrapped around it. You can be super selfish. You can manipulate people. You can do all these negative things, but once diagnosed and treated, you can man- maintain it. And and um, I'm never cured, right? Like I, I could go out and have six beer right now and I would be, the, you know, that lift would open with blood again real quick. <laughs> and I'd be, um, so I, I compare substance abuse disorder as a cluster B myself. I know you know, probably psychologists don't agree, but, um, cause I, I just feel like they're so similar. So, um, anyway, we were talking about self-awareness. <laughs> Thanks ADHD. But anyway, yes, I, I agree <laughs> that, uh, uh, being hyper self-aware is like that alone is almost a disorder. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of a blessing and a curse, isn't it? To be honest. Um, but yeah, you brought up a really good point there actually, um, about comorbidities. Um, one of the, I was doing some research. I did I, when I did my dissertation in university. I, I, I purposely steered it, to, even though it was acting based. I did steer it towards violence um, and ASPD. I managed to do like I managed basically. I managed to research ASPD academically, um, and uh, the comorbidities is is a subject that comes up quite a lot. And substance abuse disorder is something that is tied to like specifically cluster B disorders, um, and also another one as well which is a big misconception is that people with ASPD don't feel fear or anxiety and that could not be further from the truth. So people with ASPD are more likely, um, and there is a percentage, which number escapes me off the top of the, my head, but there is a percentage of people that are also diagnosed with general anxiety disorder as well, on top of things like ASPD um, and uh, NPD, HPD, all those other things. Um, so it's that's another myth that people automatically are going to be this fearless you know um again like ceo suit wearing like like most people with aspd as you say it's trauma-based so people are just really struggling with like maintaining a grip on reality and normality um whatever that looks like so and being hyper aware again just highlights that fact that you're different and it gets worse as you get older like you you become even more like aware that everyone else is doing things that you aren't doing like you know comp- comparison is the thief of joy for everybody but mm-hmm. for sometimes like it's like you know we're it's like we're really not normal <laughs> like that's how it feels so it's like it just yeah it's a blessing and a curse I suppose. yeah yeah and that's why i have a therapy session coming up is because <laughs> as you get older you do start to look around like shit i've been uh working on myself for 15 years here and the older I get, I'm still feeling different than everyone else, but uh, depending on the friend group, but I mean, in society, I feel different. So yeah, I can imagine. And and I mean, with trauma comes anxiety. So it's like, of course, cluster B's feel anxiety. It's probably anxiety driven 
mm. if anything you know it's fear driven yeah like hyper vigilance is the word i like to use is like you're you're constantly on the lookout for something that's coming to get you um and i feel like that's just the case for trauma in general no matter what disorder you may be holding it's just you're always on the lookout for you know is somebody laughing at me or or, or is somebody trying to manipulate me and that's another reason why we don't let people in is because of that is because you're so you know on the fence as to who who re- like for me i a lot, a lot of the things with aspd as well and any sort of cluster b disorder it's not just your actions it's not just what you do it's the way you see the world and how you think obviously anti-social meaning anti-society um so a lot of my thoughts and the way i the way i see my like the way i see through the world i also i, I always think about it as like sort of glasses like some people see the world through rose tinted glasses as the saying goes but i feel like with aspd it's it's a very dark lens it's like and similar to bpd where it's like black and white like there's just it's you know it's like it's like misery and that's pretty much it until the veil lifts for a little bit and you think you think oh it's okay everything it's not too bad and then it comes back again and i just feel like there's no you can't escape it you know and that's what i mean by hypervigilance is you just sort of you you're waiting for the next thing you can't chill do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i'm sure i'll relate to that regardless of what they're going through like and and that's the whole suffering part that people don't understand it's not like uh people's cluster b or disorders are having a good time manipulating people and stuff i mean they are it's that's a fucking nightmare in their head it's a nightmare it's an absolute nightmare and like obviously emily i've I've seen more from emily like in terms of like the emotional suffering obviously my again my suffering different mine's more anger suffering yours is it's very like what's the word like insecurity like it's like what's that i'm trying to think of it's like yours is like crying like being upset like physically yeah. crying um and sort of the the, the fetal position sort of thing like that mm-hmm. and whereas for me it's very like i i don't know i can't even think i don't even what what is it like for me how would you say um, punching walls that's the typical what you'd think but my, well yeah i did i started jujitsu that's what i did so illegally strangling strangling people was great for me but i got i picked up an injury so i've had to stop it for a little while but i, I always weight lift like i feel like if i throw myself into something else if i obsess over something else it it sort of takes it away for a little while you know mm-hmm. and another thing well and i'm sure todd you may relate to this as well and anyone else who's listening is emily i was actually talking about ocd a few weeks ago and the way that she described it it almost it all it's sort of, and a lot of people do this with mental health as well as they almost personify the 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 disorder like it's like it's some it's something else living inside you like coexisting with you and i think for some people that's actually a really helpful way of looking at it yeah like you're you do art don't you you mm-hmm. do drawings i feel like um if you like there's there's drawings on the internet i can't remember the artist but they do like representations of mental health disorders um and, and i think it's that being able to see it in that way as well it puts it into context for people who don't suffer yeah because a lot of people say a lot of the common things i hear is oh i didn't see you like that oh i didn't know you were suffering like that and i was like well that's because i fucking learned how to mask for the past 20 yeah. years and i think that's probably why i struggle to talk about the bpd side of me is because i've had that reaction from people oh well i don't see you that way and it's almost like a bit of a you just feel like you so, don't, you shouldn't have that label then. It's a gut punch. Yeah, isn't it? it's like, like well, I've I'm not messed up enough for you. It, 
and I'm trying to accept myself as who I am. And you've now just said, well, I don't think that is true. And it's almost like, oh, I'm back to the beginning now, trying to accept myself again. But you're right about the personifying. I think it is easier. I don't know. Maybe it's easier to accept it if it's if you're personifying it. But it's easier to describe as well. You give it an ID, don't you? Yeah. You give it. It's like, like I, re- I wrote a story recently called The Boogeyman. And the boogeyman in the story is my dad, my father. So I, I've given it an identity. I've given it a shape, a form, and I, and like something to direct the hate towards. And I feel like sometimes that like can be quite cathartic. Yeah. We even learned that in when I was in treatment for addiction. It's like, oh, that's the addiction talking, or don't let the addiction do this to you. And it's like, wait a minute, I can you can do that? You can separate the two. Like I'm not my addiction. Like I'm exactly. a good person. I'm I can you know I'm. This is not Todd. It's this other thing that's like creeps in and tells me to do these things or makes me drink or makes me want to yeah do all these other fucked up things so it's like oh yeah okay so i'm not a shitty person i just have this shitty disorder so now it's my responsibility to take care of this shitty disorder uh it's that time again no i'm not gonna do it like that it's that time again for that some bunny special a segment where we chat about who cooperated in your mental health journey and helped fill your emotional tank. Brought to you by Co-op. Co-op here is like a grocery store. Yeah, oh, well, yeah they have grocery stores too here, actually. Yeah, but um, so anyway, who who in your life has been that inspiration that kind of in your darkest times kept you going? Probably Emily. Yeah, I'd say the same for you. Yeah, just just because I didn't think I could meet somebody who would get it and like really get it. Like I could sit down and say. I could list, I, I have done, list list all the criminal things I've ever done, thought, even the most heinous things I've ever thought and done. And she just kind of goes, okay, and I still love you. And I can, we can still, we can still be somebody. We can still have a life that's away from that. And that was the moment I sort of thought, okay, not everyone is out to get me. So I would, that would be Emily, yeah. Yeah, and I think mine would be you. Obviously, with my OCD being quite dark, you're the person that I'll go to if I need to talk about it because I know that you won't judge me and you won't have that judgment there. Mm. And it is always you that is is there to pick me up, I think, especially lately when I've been going through this rough time. You've been sort of that stability for me and, and been there to like guide me through it, which has been really helpful. Mm. Well, 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 what have we here? That's fine. <laughs> like your British accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anti-social theatre. So so how did that come about? And is it is it just you two or is it a bigger project? And is it, you know, a group of people? And, and what what is it exactly? So um, essentially, anti-social theatre started out um, as a mental health based theatre company that, were, that the sole goal was to raise awareness about controversial and stigmatised mental health disorders. Um, specifically through the medium of art and that title obviously the clues in the name theatre um but it started in 2009 late 2019 so just before lockdown so when we were doing our first project uh, which is where we met as i mentioned earlier um covid happened blah 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 we all got locked down um so then we had to adapt and go digital we didn't want to cease the project we wanted to continue it through lockdown so um that's when the, the formula that we currently have now was born so i would write I'd turn these thoughts into um, sort of monologues, poems, uh, uh, that sort of st- short stories, and Emily would create them into short films so to make it uh, a bit more digestible to the audience and uh, also to be slightly different from everybody else, uh, but also 
to help other people see it through my eyes in a way that people would understand more than just seeing it written down. Um, and we also, along the way, started to pick up um, the educational side as well. Like, while we're doing this, we're showing how it is to live with these disorders, but let's educate people as well. So we sort of took on that as well. Um, and, I f and that's originally we had four members. So when I was at university, we had an extra two members, uh, Ben and Danny, they were called. Um, but they, they, you know, they sort of went their separate ways. Um, and we've, con we've continued the project basically. Uh, but that's, that's antisocial in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, I mean, art is huge in my life too. I'm, it's so nice to be able to express yourself when you can't use words. Well, mm. in your case, I guess it is words. <laughs> and Emily, even though like you didn't, it's not your writings, you must feel just as creative because you then take those writings and create what you see from it. Yeah, definitely. So I am a videographer. That's the background that I come from. So it's almost like I get given a script and then I get free creative control to build the shots around it, find the locations that we want to use. So it's, it's a really nice creative process. Um, and then I think obviously you sometimes help me with a little bit of the shots and then I help you maybe with the way that you've written it. Yeah, yeah. And we sort of work together, but you're the writing side and I'm the filming side. But yeah, you're right. It's like, it's both of our projects, but we work on it in different ways. Um, it works really well. Yeah, and we, we want to go bigger. Like, we, I, I, as I said, we started out doing the educational stuff and, and, and stuff like that, but we want to, we've had talks in recent weeks. We want to go bigger. Like, we want to, we've now moved on to TikTok. Um, that's the YouTube. That's now, you know, we've gone on to YouTube. So we want to broaden out and we want to make this a more regular thing. And we want to talk more to people like yourself and we want to, talk more to camera and give a bit more of a personable feel because there is people out there on Instagram who are educating about ASPD and things like that. there's some great pages um but I feel like what it, what it's lacking in that world is a personable face that you can put a face like a name and a face to um and for a lot of people they don't feel comfortable being uh, sort of not anonymous about it and I understand that but I'm completely comfortable with it and I want to you know, we want to take it to the big leagues. We want to make some great films that people can relate to. Um, yeah, we, 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 ideally would be, this would be our job. Like this would, I would love this to be our full-time yeah, job. Yeah, definitely. Um, and maybe it will be one day, but that's the goal. We want to go bigger, you know? I feel that brother. And I could sit here and talk with you guys for eight hours, but uh, is there anything that hasn't been brought up yet that you, you want to make sure that's um, mentioned? I think just some like overall, um, sort of overall points to 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 hit home i would say is that um just because somebody has aspd and has diminished empathy um or aggressive tendencies it doesn't inherently make someone abusive you know someone who has a personality disorder is not inherently violent abusive they're not gonna you know kill your cat or steal your bank like all your money from your bank like they are human beings they are people and they are deserving of, of love and treatment just as anybody else that would be my summary what about you um, I think for me, it would be the thing that I mentioned about BPD. It's not always as it seems. And just because somebody doesn't come across that way and they're not open about it doesn't mean that they're not suffering just as much as anybody else with that disorder. And a lot of the time for some people that are in the maybe early journeys of it and that haven't accepted it fully in themselves yet, it's not going to be obvious, but it's still there and it's still present. Yeah, And, and if you are diagnosed with a cluster b hook up with another cluster b because the sex is great <laughs> yeah that's absolutely correct can't lie about that i'm cutting that don't worry <laughs> only keep that here <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you so much, Jake and Emily. That's very amazing of you. Like I said during the interview, I think it's incredible that you are able to come out and just talk openly about having antisocial personality disorder and and borderline personality disorder and just trying to end the stigma and educate people. So that's amazing of you. Thank you so much for this. That was very interesting. Now for the question of the week to win $50 gift card from Co-op, the question is... How many original members were there to antisocial theater? Email your answer to bunnyhugspodcast at gmail. That question again. How many original members were there in antisocial theater? And email your answer to bunnyhugspodcast at gmail. $50. That's, that's a lot of money. Make sure you listen to next week's episode with Rob Crowger, the vigilante therapist who gives free counseling to people on the street. Be sure to follow Bunny Hugs Podcast on Instagram, Bunny Hugs and Mental Health on Facebook, and be sure to tell people about the podcast. Be sure to rate and review. You never know who's going to hear something that could change your life. Thank you for listening. Love you all. I've got a whole bunch of great episodes coming up, by the way, uh, and it, yeah, it's going to be great. So anyway, until next week, please remember to make your beds and take your meds. Bye. Bye.